Hey, I'm Matt Hatfield. I'm one of the uh, fellows as part of the Fellows Forum with Oncology Data Advisors. I'm here with Dr. Talker uh, today, and we're going to be talking about uh, how we learn in, in fellowship, which is a, a vast topic. Uh, staying on top of information in fellowships is incredibly challenging. So um, to introduce myself, I'm Matt Hatfield. I'm a third-year oncology fellow at Brown University in Providence, Rhode Island, uh, interested in uh, immunotherapy toxicities, as well as early drug development and phase one clinical trials. And Dr. Talker, I'll let you introduce yourself. So hi, I'm Rachel Talker. I'm a second year Hemonc fellow at Northwell in Long Island. And before I started Hemonc, I also did a palliative care fellowship um, prior. So for me, my research interests are really in quality of life, especially with patients in malignant hematology. Um, and I, I'm really excited to do this po um, podcast with you guys, too, because like learning in fellowship was so overwhelming and it often felt like you, you just didn't really know what you were doing. And so um, hopefully we can provide some insight and give you guys some comfort to know like you're not alone. Awesome. So I, I guess to get started, um, you know, one of the things I find most interesting about training in general and, and, and oncology is just the vast amount of information um, that you know, you have to sift through every day, both in clinical decision making and and just big picture management uh, for, for patients. And I was really curious what, what types of uh, um, avenues you use to to stay on top of information, uh, different ways you learn both, you know, standard of care things and to stay on top of, of new data that's coming out. I feel like that's been a huge challenge for me, especially starting with oncology, because there weren't a lot of um, resources that were geared towards like beginning in fellowship. And Fortunately, my year, I think um, two really good podcasts had come out. Have you heard of like the fellow on call? And then obviously the other one was on data advisor. Yeah. How have you incorporated those into your, your learning? So I, I guess for me, I when I first started, I just didn't really know where to even start. Because like one thing with Hemonc is you don't never really learn any of it in residence. So like basic anemia stuff, but it's like chemo is chemo. I have no, like no one right. goes over that else. So usually um, what I would do is I'd try to go through the podcast and then there were like a few different series I used. So like the fellow on call was also really good and then two onc docs. And so I would match the podcast to do groups at a time. So like if I wanted to do breast cancer, I would go through everything with one on like one of the podcasts and then I would go back and use the second one to create my own outlines. And then um, I would also try to pair it with some of the patients I was seeing on consults, because for me, seeing the patient in front of you and how you treat the patient makes the information stick more. Um, in terms of keeping up on like all of the newest trials, I, I feel like that's something I've really, really also struggled with. So um, I, I think most of what I've been really doing is trying to focus on a couple of different cancer types. And then like I, I learned best from podcasts because I can at least listen to them while I'm driving to and from work. So like looking for a couple of podcasts in those areas and trying to focus on that's been really helpful. Um, what about you? What have you been using to keep up, like both to keep up and to like get basic knowledge too? Yeah, I, I honestly, to echo what you were talking about, I find it uh, to be the same thing. You know, when I started fellowship, I think, you know, when you leave residency training, you have a scaffolding for how to manage things like CHF or COPD, but, you know, something like you know, metastatic melanoma, you don't know how to manage that. That's that's completely foreign. Um, so for me, I think uh, the big things, podcasts too, um, have been have been huge. I think uh, I, I listen to the same ones that you you mentioned, uh, the fellow on call and, and um, Onc Data Advisors both, uh, I think help uh, for me in terms of 
managing patients, there's so much gray area and there's so many new trials that are, uh, you know, coming out with new data so frequently that it really helps to hear from experts in the field. Uh, I, I think when you can hear, you know, opinion leaders in, in certain areas talk about how they manage patients, it, it at least gives you something to go off to make your own clinical decisions. Um, I think those are kind of the things that I've been trying to, to glean the most from. Uh, I, I find that in, in oncology specifically, it's become harder and harder to just rely on things that maybe I did in residency, like mix app or, or those types of, you know, those, those like home-based things that you'd use, uh, to, to learn, um, you know, like board prep materials haven't been quite as relevant to me and, you know, learning oncology just because I think the field changes so fast that you just can't rely on those types of, um, sources of information like you could in residency for different types of diseases. Um, but you know, it, it's, it's definitely a, a field that, um, changes quickly and it's, it's hard to stay on top of. Um, I guess piggybacking off that, you know, with the idea that things change quickly and there's, there's always, you know, vast amounts of, um, new data, new things to stay on top of what has been your strategy or methods for piggybacking off like your clinical time and trying to like work things in throughout the day? Do, do you find that there's different, you know, sources that you go to frequently to, to learn, um, you know, about new developments in fields or, or uh, is there any specific ways that you, you learn uh, to stay on top of things? So I guess it really depends because like I just started my second year. So I still feel like there's areas where I'm developing like still very basic fundamental knowledge, which is where I use more of things like a question banks or podcast and then like just like general review articles to get that. But like in other cancer areas where at least I've had much more experience, um, usually I would start with like one or two articles that like I would either get in my news inbox, like in an email or like those um, articles you get in the mail, like with blood or with ASCO. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. I would always read all of the like how I treat and then the review articles and then look at what was cited in the back of those and then go to those like publications for the areas that I felt were most interesting because I think as a fellow, um, there, there's like two areas. You're always building up your general knowledge, but to also keep up with um, like the most cutting edge, you really have to have like a really good fundamental of knowledge. And it's really tough to manage that in so many different cancer types. And so usually for me, it's um, I'll start with a review article and then finding the ones that are cited are like the easier way to go. So at least I have like fundamentals to understand the next level. And then I would look at more citations for what article seemed interesting. In the next level. That's a fantastic point. I think oncology's, I don't know if you agree, but I, I think oncology has um, much more data to stay on top of and, and also much more controversial data. So not every trial that gets published is is necessarily um, going to be changing your your management practice or, or become standard of care. And, and you really have to determine how do you want to integrate that if you want to integrate that into your practice. And, and some of that, to your point, is, is figuring out, you know, where were we and where are we now and where are we going and, and trying to anticipate. And you're trying to learn the fundamentals at the same time as you're trying to, like, figure out what the future looks like all at the same time. Um, I, I Similarly, I, I also use review papers to try and, um, you know, have quick summaries of, of what you're learning um, I think for fundamental knowledge, that's that's perfect because then you can kind of go back and say, you know, this is like a review paper on the management of metastatic non-small cell lung cancer. And then here are the pivotal trials. And, you know, when you have time, which you never have time, but when you do have time, you, you go back and and try and um, 
you know, read those, those clinical trials and, and, and try and tease out what was important about them and um, uh, what was relevant for your own practice. And then I think, you know, as we mentioned earlier, to staying on top of new information that's coming out, I, I do rely pretty heavily on, on uh, things like podcasts um, that you can integrate into your day pretty seamlessly, you know, while you're commuting or, or while you're, you know, catching up on notes or things like that. Um, you know, for instance, uh, I3 uh, Health just had one on neoadjuvant management of lung cancer, which I think is a, a field that's rapidly evolving and it's difficult to stay on top of that. So having something that's a little bit more contemporary and current on those types of things is, is super, super helpful. Um, and I guess that that would, um, you know, makes me think of, of another thing that's really relevant in oncology fellowship. And that is um, there's there's our day to day clinical management and there's sort of the as I mentioned, the big picture, you know, these are the trials. These are the, the sort of the, the different disease states you have to think about. Um, the controversies within those disease states and how different people manage different different things. So what are your go-to sources or or how do you um you know stay on top of more of the clinical management things? You know, those those questions that come up while you're in clinic or on consults where you just need a quick answer fast. And how does that different from maybe more your your long-term learning, you know, the things that you're you're trying to use to build your foundational knowledge? So I guess it really depends on the situation. So if it's like looking at next line chemotherapy or like possibly a complication of some sort of treatment we've been giving the patients, um, I, I would start from like a different resource for each one. With NCCN guidelines, I, I didn't realize this when I first started fellowship, but I think you kind of figure it out through. There's a really nice summary section at the end. And so... Um, if you're really looking for like one or two short points, those are where I would go to at least for like some of the things that I'm just not used to as man like managing as well. For example, like gynecological malignancies, because, um, you know, at some institutions, the chemotherapy is given by the like the surgeons versus like the medical oncologists. So that's where I would start. But the other thing that I would also I also found very helpful is there on NCCN, there's another section for supportive oncology, too. And that's really helpful for a lot of the side effects, like in terms of immunotherapy. And that's been like a really go-to for at least like looking up dosing on something very, very quick. But um, it's, I, I usually use, uh, like I would say the NCCN guidelines, at least the structure for like very fundamentals to make sure I'm not missing something for like staging and workup. But in terms of choosing the right treatment, it's really like the NCCN guidelines, it's, it's really tough to navigate which one's next. It's very challenging, I would agree. I, I think um, in, in my practice, too, I feel the same way that, uh, you know, take lung cancer, for instance, you know, stage four lung cancer. Uh, you look up the NCCN guidelines and you see, you know, non-driver mutated, you use carbopempem, but you could also use ipinevo chemo, like Checkmate 9LA regimen. And, you know, the NCCN guidelines doesn't, you know, break it down which one's better than the other. And, and, and when you look at the papers, uh, for the trials, they're they're very similar. You know that they they you know the toxicity profiles, the efficacy benefit. You know there's there's nuances between the two. At my institution, we use mostly carbopempem, but um, you have to augment those types of sources with things like podcasts or articles with with you know some of the leaders in the field to to try and understand you know as well as your mentors at your local institution to try and understand why we do this first that and and it's not you know the NCCN guidelines makes everything seem as though it's like very cut and dry and. You know, you, you mentioned uh, immunotherapy toxicities, which is a particular interest of mine. And I think we've all 
looked at the ESMO guidelines, the CITSI guidelines, these NCCN, they're, they're all very similar. But, you know, when you manage patients, it doesn't look like that. You know, people don't respond within two days to steroids. Um, you often have to do management of steroid refractory cases with pneumonitis and colitis. And um, it gets very, very nuanced, very fast. And, and having those other sources where you're actually hearing from people that are doing these things um, and, and are experts in the field is pretty critical, in, in my opinion. I think another thing to at least like gain more collective, like clinical experience, because no matter what, you just won't have enough patients to know every single thing there is about hemong, right? So one thing I've also really loved is going to tumor boards for cancers and just listening to what other people say, because you'll hear from like different people that have a lot of experience in this one type of cancer, and it'll at least help you troubleshoot um, how to manage another patient moving forward. And it's, I think it's, um, there's one thing about textbook knowledge, but also translating it to clinical practice is really tough. So for me, like tumor boards also had really helped with uh, transitioning. No, absolutely. I think that the wealth of knowledge you, you hear in tumor board, even cases that you think are, are relatively straightforward in your mind, you go to, you present them at tumor board and you realize there was several things you didn't consider or think about. And, and, you know, that's just the wealth of knowledge and experience that, People have been managing this a lot longer than we have have, and and it's it's uh, really really good to learn from them. What have you found some of your mentors to to do uh, at your institution with regards to learning or staying on top of um, you know new data that comes out or, or or controversial data that comes out? So I I feel like that's really tricky because everybody has their own system of how to manage some of these things, right? So um, uh, like my mentors have them all over. Like it depends on the type of cancer we're working with too and like the mentors so some really like we'll send out every review or like every like review article to like at least guide you through the pivotal trials and then we'll send out the newest articles that come out but then um we also have like formal and informal journal clubs where they we would discuss it too because sometimes when you just don't have enough clinical experience you don't really know how important or like how um how to like fit this new article is into like clinical practice because it may just not have enough patients and you really shouldn't use it in your practice but it has a lot of potential and you might just need a few more articles to come out before you would start using those findings no absolutely no yeah it is it is a a a tough field um in in that regard to sort of stay on top of i guess i I would finish with what would be one piece of advice you would give someone who's a a, either a hospitalist about to be a come a hemoc fellow or a a third year resident or chief resident who's about to become a hemoc fellow you know what's one thing that you wish you knew that you didn't know and uh what what's one piece of advice you would give them so i think i think one of the mis i guess like misperceptions a lot of people have when they first come into fellowship is that they have to know everything and just realizing that it's, you know, the field is so changing every single day, trying to stay on top of every article is going to feel like you're drowning. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think making sure you're focused on having like a really good fundamental of knowledge at the beginning is probably where I would first focus on. And then once you have that, um, trying to focus on your area of interest is it's much easier to like be on top of all of the articles that come out for one type of cancer like leukemia or melanoma because you at least have the fundamentals to build up and you know how the trials um, like change with one another. It's very tough to know every single thing about every single cancer. And I think, so that's one thing I would say. The other thing too is to not like forget some of the softer skills about being an oncologist too. There's really no textbook that tells you 
um, how to transition from being a resident or like an internist to like an oncologist. And that's a very unique role. And so um, like not forgetting those skills about transitioning to a consultant, making sure you're taking care of like the cancer portion, but then also looking at a patient holistically. It's probably um, one thing I tell people not to forget. No, absolutely. I think uh, that resonates so much with uh, me, what, what you said about, you know, it's easy to say, it, it's easy when, you, when you're in clinic and you're, you're working with a thoracic oncologist, they, they rattle off data, uh, but they've been living thoracic oncology only for, you know, 10 years. And uh, I feel like as a first year fellow, and I still feel like this now, that sometimes it's almost like you're, you're joining uh, a movie halfway through, you, you know, you didn't see like the first half of the movie and you're, you're kind of like trying to come up with like the plot points, but you don't really know. Um, and, and it's challenging. And I think for people transitioning to fellowship, it's, it's important to know that even people who have been oncologists for, you know, 25 years go to tumor board and, and are humbled by the things that happen with patients and the things that they don't know. And, um, and just how much we, we are, we don't have control over some things in oncology and, I think the one thing too that I, I would say about oncology that's uh, in addition to just the vast amounts of information that you have to stay on top of has been uh, it's a challenging field. Um, you know, the patients are sick and, and I wasn't as prepared for that when I started fellowship. I think um, I thought that it'd be very similar to residency, but uh, it's very humbling on a daily basis to meet people who are you know, terminally ill. Um, you know, you run out of options quickly with them and it can be, it can be very challenging. So I think, taking out time for yourself and, and, and connecting with your colleagues is really important. And I, I know palliative medicine is something very important to you. And um, that's, uh, um, you know, something that I, I think is, is, is really a big part of fellowship that I, I underestimated when I started. Yeah. I feel like that was something that a lot of like fellows and attendings just aren't prepared for until you just get your hands in and are like really practicing because it's, it's like the patients are so sick and, they have a reason to like really be so overwhelmed and it's there's a lot of um like need for an oncologist to really manage so much of like the primary aspects too and it's something that you just don't realize because other consultants can focus on one organ but cancer and chemo affects every organ in the body so you really have to be a good internist right absolutely i would i would agree with that and you know again to, to pull things back to immunotherapy toxicities i feel like we all have to be really great internists because you, you can't just be siloed into thinking about your one type of cancer. I mean, it, it's just too comp it's too complicating that the therapies are too complicating. The patients are too complicating, but um, you know, I, I think the taking care of really sick patients every day and just the vast amount of knowledge that we have to stay on top of does make Hemonc fellowship a, a very unique, even from other, I'm not sure other subspecialties would agree, but I, I think it's a very unique uh, and uh, rewarding, but very challenging field to be in. Oh, absolutely. Um, what do you think like your mentors or like attendings have done to help you with like some of those challenges? Yeah, I think my my mentors that I've had, um, uh, I've had some really wonderful mentors throughout fellowship. And, and I think um, the, the biggest thing that I've learned from my mentors is to always um, be humble. Um, I, I think, you know, I've had some mentors that are just phenomenal at teaching on the go and, and can really um, help you build that foundational knowledge quickly. But what I've always seen them uh, demonstrate to everyone they work with, it doesn't matter who, patients, other other physicians, you know, everyone, the support staff, nursing staff that works with them is that uh, they're very humble and down to earth. And uh, uh, because they realize that, you know, in oncology, such little is in our control. And um, it, it's a very challenging field and that, you know, you really can't be too 
um, sure of yourself with anything because we all are caught off guard, you know, by how patients do, um, you know, the outcomes, the, it's a challenging field to be in. And, and I think, you know, that's one been one big thing. And, you know, the, the best mentors I've ever had are, are reading constantly. Um, it, it's amazing how, how much, you know, if, if, if something's published or presented at ASCO, you know, they, they know about it before anyone else does, it seems like. And um, I think in, in some ways you do have to sort of push yourself to, keep reading and, and, and be like a lifelong learner. And, and I think that's where things like podcasts really come in to, to help me personally, because I find it hard to sit down and read just journal articles. You know, I would love it if I got up in the morning and over coffee, I was, you know, cranking through two or three journal articles, but that's not so much my, my speed. Um, but uh, if I can listen to a podcast, especially with some of the, the more prominent people in the field or, or people who manage these diseases and hear their opinions about new data, to me, that's the, it's almost entertaining in a way, but you're learning at the same time. Right. It's much easier to fit in a podcast, like while you're do, like multitasking versus like really trying to digest or like a very, like, you know, 20 pages of something off of a journal. Yeah. You know, if it's like six 30 in the morning and you're like, well, this hazard ratio is different than that hazard <laughs> ratio. You're, 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 you're like, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm not getting there that way, but um, you know, for some people that works, but I think, you know, uh, podcasts, articles that sort of distill down information. And and to your point, um, that serve as good starting points. You know, you listen to a podcast and you're like, someone mentions, you know, like for instance, you know, Carbopempem versus Checkmate 9LA. And and, um, and then you it, it compel you to go up and look up the trials and make your own decisions about what you how you want to manage those things. So it, it can be just a good way to stay on top of the uh, information and, you know, be a good starting point for other, other things that you want to look into. I think the other thing you said, too, about just being a lifelong learner, that's so important in oncology. And I feel like you don't really understand it until you actually start practicing. And most of my favorite attendings, the best like mentors I've had, it's not that they're just interested in learning um, like the newest articles or the data. They're actually very curious about like developments in all areas of medicine. Like if they don't know... Um, like I had an attendee come up and like ask me how to interrogate a PCA so that they could like catch problems with our like sick patients that have sickle cell disease too. So it's um like knowing skills outside of just oncology, but also like in internal medicine in general and like other areas would really help us like create more research too to be like better researchers, but then also like manage patients better. Oh, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I think the, the best mentor I've, I've, uh, I've ever had, um, him and I were sitting at a, uh, you know, like the best of ASCO type meeting. And uh, during the meeting, you know, he was taking all these diligent notes in uh, lymphoma. And and he's a thoracic oncologist. And, and I was like, what are you what are you what are you doing? You know, like, this doesn't this doesn't have anything to do with you. And he was like, of course it does. It's it's oncology. I, you know, I mean, because you don't know, you know, you may hear about some new molecular target or you may hear about a trial that had an in interesting um, aspect or, or some type of toxicity from a therapy or, or just hearing something outside your own area, uh, to your point, makes you much more well-rounded. And and um, and those are the people that are really, you know, exceptional as opposed to just doing their job well. Um, and, and it really does get back to being a lifelong learner. And especially like so many of our patients, they live longer, they might actually have two or three cancers at the same time. So you really have to learn how to manage both. You can't just pick one. Yeah, or, absolutely. Or your, like, biopsy could be misdiagnosed and you really have to know what was missed so that you can actually direct them to the right team. Right. And, and everyone can teach you. I mean, I've learned just as much from the nurse practitioners I work with or the, you know, the oncology nurses as I have from attendings. I mean, everyone has this, you know, wealth of knowledge and the, the more you know, 
uh, the easier your job is and um, the less you rely on other people and, and then the more enjoyable your job is. So I would totally agree with that. Well, perfect. I think this was an uh, awesome conversation. Thank you so much for taking the time. I think, um, you know, learning and fellowship seems like a very straightforward topic, but for me, it certainly hasn't been. And I think I still refine how I learn and, and how I absorb information. And uh, it's, it's great to catch up with you and, and talk about these things. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It was um, it was definitely a lot too, like for me to get into learning. So it's it's nice to hear that like other fellows also have had similar struggles and like how they've adapted to um, grow. Absolutely.